live in our hearts and that this might be due to the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of us here tonight are tall and some of us are not so tall. And I wonder as we begin tonight whether you've ever had an experience in your life where you've been made to feel small by someone else. Do you know what it's like to be made to feel small by someone superior? Now, when I say that, it's not just that you're looking up to someone because they're physically taller, although I have that opportunity quite a bit, that's good, but that there are people who make you feel small. They're superior to you. Now, maybe, uh, maybe you're a cricketer like Callum, right? And you meet, I don't know, Mark Waugh, right? And if that happens, then you think to yourself, well, he's pretty great. Maybe I'm not as good as him, although, Cal, you might think you're as good as him. That might be true. Uh, when we meet people who are much more talented than we are, right, we can think, I'm tiny. But there are some people that project onto us the fact that they're great and we then think that we're tiny. And so I wonder if you've had that experience. In the case of the Colossians here, they had been made to feel like they were tiny Christians. They were really great, big, powerful Christians in the world and they were just little babies. And I want to save you from a cliffhanger ending. Paul's answer to the Colossians tonight in this part of the letter is to say that they're not. They're not tiny. They aren't insignificant. Have a look with me at what he says in verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul wants to tell them they aren't insignificant. And the answer is four things that they need to do. Have a look with me just very quickly. First of all, they need to live in him. They need to live him. They need to be conscious of Jesus in every part of their lives, not have a, um, a, a situation where they're on board with Jesus now on Sunday night, and then on Monday morning, who's Jesus? So they need to live in him. He also tells them that they needed to be rooted in him, which basically means that they need to recall how they started. They love Jesus at the start and put their trust in him. Continue to do that. Be rooted in him. Thirdly, they're told to grow in their faith in him. And I've got a picture of a rock climber there clinging on. Grow in your faith. Hang on to him. Treasure the work that Jesus has done. And then it finishes by saying, thankful to him, overflowing with thankfulness, where we go, your work, Jesus, is awesome. Well, each of these four things has something in common, and you can pick it up there, in him, in him, in him, and you guys are following the pattern. Great. Okay, so here's the thing. Paul wants them to know you're not small Christians so long as your focus is Fantastic. So we want to encourage you tonight. Paul is saying there is a significance to all Christians who have their focus on Jesus. The challenge is we're going to be tempted to look away. For us here in Australia, and particularly in Sydney, I don't think we meet too many people who make us feel spiritually inferior. It's not kind of what happens. It, our, our inferiority is often more secular. Let me explain what I mean. 
Has someone come up to you, oh, are you on the brand new diet? Are you doing the keto thing? Now, I, I really don't have any more words to go past keto thing, right? But, but it is apparently a thing. And they go, oh, aren't you on the new diet, right? And you might think to yourself, I don't know what the new diet is. My diet is defined by what's in the cupboard and how much energy I've got for Sunday night, right? Or how, how good the supper is afterwards, right? And then I don't have to eat anything else. Yes, right? I have an amen for that. So, so some people make you feel small because they go, I'm, I'm on this diet, I'm just nailing this. You go, ooh, I'm not. Or, or maybe it's somebody who travels extensively, right? And so you see all their in- extraordinary pictures on Instagram. Can I just take a little aside for us tonight, guys? Um, how many of you are on social media? Right? Okay. And if you're like me, you've got more than two friends. Is that right, on social media? Okay, here's the thing. How often do amazing things happen in your life? Not very regularly, right? But when I'm looking on my social media feeds, right, something amazing is happening all the time. And my friends, they just travel like crazy people. So I've got pictures from Italy. I've got pictures from Africa. I've got pictures from America. And and you know what? If you follow enough people, there is someone doing something extraordinary all the time. Have you had this experience? And so what you then think is everyone is always doing extraordinary things. And what do you think? The most extraordinary thing I did this week was go to Norellan. I didn't post a photo on it on my social media because it wasn't that exciting. And how do I compete with Italy and Africa? And so we feel small. Does anyone know this sense? Yeah, okay. Then there's another sense in which uh, crucial causes, somebody has something they're really passionate about, and so they tell you, you know, um, I'm about to run 500 kilometres for cancer, right? And you go, oh, gracious, I I haven't been around the block recently, but they tell you, you know, can you sponsor me because I'm doing this amazing thing? And you think, oh, I I don't know, what what am I doing that's amazing? And so we feel small. And then, and maybe I inadvertently help this, but... um, Maybe there are people who are fitness fanatics around you, right? And they're up at the crack of dawn doing all sorts of crazy things and you think, hey man, I come to the evening service so I can sleep in on Sunday morning. Right? I'm not getting up at the crack of dawn. And there's this thing down on the oval here where the the, the side of the truck says body war. That's what it's literally called. Who's signing up for that, right? But there are fanatics, right? And and they're, they're doing this thing where they are making you feel tiny. Do you know that feeling? Maybe, maybe you do. That was, that's our experience. If you lived in the time of the Colossians, you were being made small by people who had additional spirituality. You start as a Christian, but you need to add in all these important extra things. I think for us, we can start with Jesus and then people, a bunch of people can say, you need to fulfill your potential. It's great that you've got your faith, but if you really want to be a significant contributor, get on top of your diet, have a great cause, make sure you're running a marathon every week or whatever it is, right? And we feel tiny again. Now, interestingly enough, I think Paul's advice to the Colossians and their ancient problem will help us in our modern problem. And so we see that Paul warns the Colossians. Have a look with me at verse 8. At verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
Essentially, he says here, there's going to be an empty philosophy, a way to live your life that's built on two things. It's built on ancient wisdom or or human teaching and behind it, because it's got spiritual stuff in it, behind it isn't God, but is demons. It has a demonic spiritual origin. And what's the outcome of that? Well, Paul warns that if you listen to this world, what will happen is it will try and enslave you and leave you lacking. In practice, what you're to keep an eye out for is obligation and inferiority. What do I mean by that? If you meet one of these philosophies, it'll ask a lot of things of you. You must do this, you must do this, you must do this, and you'll be left feeling tiny. That's how you'll recognize it, obligation and inferiority. What we're going to do is we're going to have a look at how Paul tries to save the Colossians here from that danger. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background to their world and think about what the challenge might be for the Colossian church. Uh, Does anyone know what nationality this statue is? It's Greek. Uh, And if you have a look up there, um, I, I did this morning, I said, you know, I was, then I said, I shouldn't put my hands up and try and mimic this guy because he's clearly ripped, right? He's gone to body war. He's, he's looking amazing, okay? The Greeks loved human physical perfection. They loved it. And so looking spectacular was part of the culture of the Greeks, okay? Physical perfection was really highly valued. And uh, amidst that, we see there is a challenge. So most of the Colossians weren't Jewish, the Colossian Christians. They weren't Jewish. They were from Gentile backgrounds. And so they were very into, because of their background, they were very into their bodies. In that environment, we see a particular challenge for the Colossians. And at each point, each of these stop points through the sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a line like this. Oh, Colossians, you aren't there yet. So somebody is saying to the Colossian Christians, you've started really well, here's what you need to add. Here's what you need to add. And so Colossian Christians, you've started really well, but you need to add circumcision. Now, do people know what circumcision is? Save it for question time if you don't. But basically it's the cutting off of flesh on your body, okay? And so someone would say circumcision is ancient, it's Jewish, it's painful, But if you do it, you'll add another level to your obedience to God. You should get circumcised. Now, that would have been terrifying to any regular pagan. So have a look at what Paul says to them in verses 9 and following. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Well, what's going on there? Firstly, we note that Jesus is fully God. Great, straightforward. And then we're told that in Jesus we lack nothing. Jesus has all the fullness of Godhead. And if you're in him, you will lack 
nothing. He then gets to this bit about circumcision. And he has wonderful news for the Colossians. He says, in Jesus, you have had a spiritual circumcision. What does that mean? Well, instead of cutting off physical flesh, have a look what he says here in verse 11. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. What happens was, when we were baptized, it's in baptism, we're joined to Jesus' story. When we were baptized, our old self was put off. Don't cut anything physically off. Jesus has cut off what you needed to have cut off spiritually when you were baptized. So what do we need to remember? From this, we need to remember that you have fullness in Jesus. Thankfully, you don't need to mark your body. Well, can everyone see this picture up on, uh, up on the screen here? Uh, this is a picture I pull out every Easter. It's a fantastically ancient picture. And it's a piece of graffiti on a wall. And you can see down here, there's a guy down here. And he's looking up at a man on the cross. But what's the problem with his head? It's a donkey's head. Now, here's the awesome thing. In the ancient world, being called a donkey was still an insult. Okay? Isn't that amazing, right? In the ancient world, being called a donkey is an insult. So, what's going on here? Well, here's a man on the cross with a donkey's head. In other words, he's a joke. The graffiti says... Alexa Menos worships his God. Somebody is making fun of a Christian. And what they're saying is, the cross is humiliating. Only a donkey would be stupid enough to claim that they were a God if they got crucified. Are you with me? The cross is humiliating. It's a joke in the ancient world. If you wanted honour in the ancient world, what you would do is uh, you would be a conquering Roman general. So if you're looking for honour, you would be a conquering Roman general. And here's what they do. They would come into Rome on a special chariot with extra height. So, I don't know, we lift cars, right? Okay. This is a lifted chariot, okay? It's lifted up high. You get to have all of the prisoners that you've taken captive in the war walk in front of you. You get the leaders of Rome walking in front of you. You get the people shouting accolades. You get a special wreath for your head. And behind is all the treasures that you have stolen from your enemies. If you want to be honoured in Rome, this is called a triumphal procession. Awesome, right? Keep those two things in mind. We're going to have another look at a problem that came up in the church in Colossae. Oh, Colossians, you aren't there yet. How will you pay back the sins you've committed since you started believing? In other words, you became a Christian, well done. You asked Jesus to forgive you all your past sins. That's great. What's the problem in the future? How are you going to have your future sins forgiven? You'll need to do something about that. Paul helps them out. Have a look with me at verses 13 to 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
by the cross. Well, what's going on here? First of all, we need to face the, the, the terrible reality that we were spiritually dead. That, that's probably not a very complimentary thing to say, but we were unable to save ourselves because we were dead spiritually. Second thing, all of our sins were forgiven by Jesus. I, I did this this morning. I'll try it again tonight. When you become a Christian, you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, right? No problems. But I want you to think about this. When did Jesus die? Some time ago, right? Has anyone got a rough idea? 30 AD, so let's say round it up to the nearest thousand, 2,000 years ago. Okay. And we think to ourselves, well, when I said, Jesus, I'm trusting in you, he forgave me my past sins. But I want you to stay with me. Were you alive when Jesus died for your sins? Anyone here alive 2,000 years ago? Thank you very much. See the hand, Isaac. No, you weren't. Here's the thing. Jesus forgave you your sins 2,000 years ago. So it's just a mental problem of ours if we think he's only forgiven the sins up to the point when we became a Christian. Are you with me? Because we hadn't committed any of our sins when he died for them. In fact, what Jesus did, he forgave our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins when he died on the cross. Can you see that? Because he did it all 2,000 years ago. Fantastic. So you can know tonight all your sins have been forgiven. At the cross, all the charges were destroyed. Did you see this strange thing? Uh, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us. What's going on? Imagine God is writing down your sins. It'd need a bigger piece of paper, right? Certainly for me anyway. What he's saying is our charge, the thing that said guilty, 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 you deserve death, all of that was taken to the cross and nailed to the cross. When Jesus died, this bit of paper, this charge, ripped up, shredded. The shredded bits burnt. The burnt things crushed. It's utterly destroyed the record that stood against us. And while looking at the cross, we would have thought it was a humiliating defeat. Jesus died on the cross, right? What this passage tells us is it's actually a triumphal procession. Have a look at verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God's enemies think the cross is foolishness. You can know tonight it's the place of his victory and triumph. You didn't see it on earth, but spiritually, Jesus was having one of those Roman processions and defeating all of his enemies. Isn't that awesome? So what do we need to remember? Well, we need to remember all accursing enemies were defeated in triumph and therefore, you can know you have forgiveness in Jesus. Two things we've got so far. So for now, the Christian has fullness in Jesus. And the Christian also has forgiveness in Jesus. Two little uh, icons up here. Full, no problems. Not empty, full. You are full in Jesus. And the delete key. Your sins have been forgiven, deleted. And then the hard drive was destroyed. And then the... You know, the cloud backup was destroyed as well. The record of your sins, utterly deleted, okay? 
You as a Christian, if you trust in Jesus tonight, have fullness in Jesus and forgiveness in Jesus. Now, in order to understand the next bit, we need to understand a little bit of Plato. Now, that's why you came on Sunday night, wasn't it? Tell me about an ancient Greek philosopher. Well, here's what Plato said. Plato said, the human life is lived like someone who's watching shadows on the wall of a cave. Oh, look, that looks like a person. Oh, that looks like an animal. We don't see the real things. Plato said the real things are kept in heaven. We only see the shadows. Keep that in mind. That's going to be a useful idea here as we hear the next challenge that the Colossians were facing. Oh, Colossians, you aren't there yet. You're not living according to the Jewish law. If only once you became a Christian, you obeyed all of the Old Testament law, God would love you. You'd be good. Have a listen to what Paul says to them about this. Have a look with me at verse 16 and following. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What he's saying here is don't let people condemn you because you aren't being a good Jew. That doesn't make any sense. Know that there are things that pass away. The Jewish regulations were to teach a very specific set of points. God is concerned about every area of your life and how holy you are. Okay, And it was also supposed to teach us we would fail. We would all fall short of God's standard and that there was a way to be forgiven. A sacrifice had to die in our place for our sins. Well, what happens? That was done over and over and over again until the one who it was all about came. Jesus lived a perfect life, obeyed the law perfectly, and then died as the one sacrifice for our sins. Know that the realities then are found in Jesus. Everything was looking forward to him. Remember that we're saved by faith, not by trying hard to obey the Old Testament law. These poor Colossians had lots of challenges. One of the challenges was a thing called mystery religions. And what the mystery religions would do is we'd come together. I'd say, do you want to know the secret? You'd like to know the secret, wouldn't you? Well, meet with me on Thursday night up on the hill at this temple. And what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you some of the mysteries. And so we'll, we'll learn some secret teaching. And then we'll all get drunk or take drugs. And then we'll have visions, amazing visions. And the people who've been doing this for ages will have really great stories about the extraordinary things they've seen. And you will feel tiny. Have a listen to how Paul tries to save them from this. Oh, Colossians, you aren't there yet. Don't you know about angels and trances and visions? Listen to what he says uh, in verses 18 and following. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions in their unspiritual minds. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. In essence, what he's saying here is don't let the big talkers make you feel small. 
Jesus, not angels, is what it's all about. And so all true growth is from Jesus. What do we need to remember? All that you need is found in Jesus. You don't need special revelations about angels and visions. There were all these Jews around them, lots and lots of Jews, and so they were often told, oh, well done, Colossians. It's now time to get with the program and be more and more. (laughs) Aren't you strictly obeying dietary laws and treating your body harshly? Haven't you done that yet? Have a listen to what he says in verse 20 and following. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why is you so why is if you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see, death set you free from rules. Death set you, you died with Christ in your baptism. You don't need to do that anymore. Don't go back to them. Those things are fading away and the reality is, you know what? They don't work. They won't keep you from sinning. Remember that all you need is found in Jesus. So what have we learned? Well, we've learned that Jesus alone brings fullness. Jesus alone brings forgiveness. And just in this last little bit, we've seen Jesus alone brings freedom. Now, after the morning service this morning, I had a guy come up to me and he says, look, I know I I, I get a bit carried away here. When you say that we're free in Jesus, can you just clarify that it doesn't mean we're free to do anything we want? Right? Jesus set me free. And we go, okay, that's good. But not free to do anything, free to be holy. Free to live in a way that brings honour to God. Free from having our desires be the thing that drives our life. So you've been given freedom in Jesus, but it's freedom for holiness, not freedom from responsibility. Now, we're going to come into a land with a maths equation. Now, I know Sunday night, who doesn't want maths? That's what you were thinking, weren't you? Yeah, well, great. I see one hand at the back. Thanks, Zoe. I want to give you a maths equation. This is the way that we're going to sum up tonight so you can take it home. All right? So here's our maths equation. Jesus plus anything equals no gospel at all. Jesus plus anything equals no gospel at all. The Colossians have been told you've started with Jesus. Add this, add this, add this, add this, and you might be okay. But I want you to see what Paul's taught us tonight is Jesus plus anything equals no gospel. There's no good news if someone tries to add more to Jesus. So if someone tells you that you really need to make sure your diet's sorted out, please, I mean, look after your diet if you need to. But it's not the most important thing. Maybe someone makes you feel small because they're getting up at four o'clock in the morning and running a marathon. You don't have to worry about it. Maybe someone's got amazing photos from their trip to where don't Don't worry about it. Maybe somebody has an awesome cause that you're thinking, man, what am I living for? Don't worry about any of those things. You are living for the one who is at the center of the universe. You have chosen tonight to say your priority is honoring him. 
Don't add to Jesus anything. Don't add anything to Jesus. Let's do a little test for you tonight on how you're thinking about coming to church. Is coming to church and following Jesus about rules and striving? I need to work really hard to be good enough for God. Or is it about relationship and rescue? I'm getting to know Jesus and he has saved me from my sins. The dividing line between these two things is bound up in these three. Do you know that you have fullness in Jesus or are you trying to create it? Do you know that your sins have been totally forgiven or are you trying to pay them off? Do you know that you're free or do you feel buried by obligation? If you're into religion, you'll be talking about rules. If you're into Jesus, you'll be surprised to know that you'll be talking about Jesus. I want to finish where Paul started off. He said this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Church, if someone's making you feel small, know that in Jesus you have all you need, freedom, forgiveness, and also great hope. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank and praise you that you have done everything for us. You have made us totally right before you. Father, help us not to forget the great things you've done. Help us not to be buried and to feel tiny, but instead to grow in our love for you and to continue to follow you with all our hearts. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, there's no confusing things in there at all, is there? <laughs> uh, do you have any questions, things that you'd like to clarify Uh, things that came up in the passage there tonight that you might like to ask me, or maybe some application from what we've talked about tonight. Yeah, Nicole. So even though we're forgiven for our past, present and future sins, there still seems to be consequence of them. That's a really helpful thing. Yes, keep going. And like when they talk about, I think it's more in the Old Testament about that our sins are, they can carry on to the fourth generation. And it seems to be about having to confess them. You can't just say, it feels like it's not just like all your sins are forgiven. It feels like you do have to write that whole page out and ask for each one to be forgiven, or will it go on to the fourth generation? Or the, do the consequences still carry on even though you're forgiven? Yeah. Great, really good question. First things first, uh, when you become a Christian, does gravity stop working? Good answer, strong answer, strong answer. No, gravity keeps working. In the same way, there is a natural gravity for sin. Let me explain what I mean. When we do bad stuff, consequences follow. Right? They just do. And if you sin, you will reap the outcome of sin. It just happens. It happens like that. So you're exactly right, Nicole. We can say my sins are forgiven, but when we sin, it'll still have consequences. It'll hurt other people or do a bunch of stuff. It can still be covered by Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we'll live immune from the consequences of our sin. So that's a really important thing. The second thing is, do we need to confess all our sins if they're forgiven? Uh, I like to think about it a little bit like being married. Let's see if I can get my ring off. Not that I want to take it off, but okay. When I get married, I I tell Carrie this is my magic ring, right? 
means that she's married to me. It's fantastic. I really like it. Um, now, if I got married, I put the, put the ring on and I go, cool, I'm married to Caro. Um, I'll, never, I'll never need to say sorry to her ever again because we've got a magic contract, right? Okay? It'll be sorted. No problems. What will my relationship with my wife look like if I just depend on the fact that I've got a ring on but I pay no attention to her? Well, it'll get ugly pretty quickly. But yes, we'll go with the trained psychologist. It won't be good. It'll be bad, right? So here's the thing. We get married to Jesus when we say, I give you my life. We need to work on our marriage relationship, not because we get unmarried if we don't say sorry when we do the wrong thing, but because the way to treasure the relationship is to work on it. Are you with me? And so we must keep confessing our sins, even though they're all forgiven. We must keep confessing our sins, not because they redo my salvation every time, but because they refresh my relationship all the time. Does that make sense? And so I want to encourage you, uh, Nicole, I think they're great observations. There are consequences for sin, absolutely. And forgiven Christians still confess their sin because it helps the freshness of the relationship of walking with Jesus. Does that make sense? I've rabbited on for a bit. Hopefully it was in the right direction. Yeah, good. Someone else, another question. Yep, up the back, Damon. So um, thanks for your message. I think that's um, very encouraging to know that all we need is Jesus and nothing added, which is, which is really cool. Good, mate. You, I... You've listened, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got notes. Um, uh, I actually wanted to go back to um, the creed, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So I've been saying that creed since I was a kid. And we used to say in the creed, um, uh, I believe in uh, the Holy Catholic Church, which Thank you now you. changed to the Holy Universal Church. Yes. What's going on with that? Yes. Thank you. It's brilliant. Uh, it would still say Catholic in our Anglican prayer book, but it has a lowercase c. Now, does everyone know the difference between a lowercase and an uppercase? Okay. Uppercase is a name, okay, a, a proper name. Now, when we say the Catholic Church, okay, with a capital C, am I going the right way? I like to do my YMCA's the right way, okay? Uh, when we say Catholic Church like that, we mean Rome and the Pope, right? That's the capital C. When we say little c, okay, the word Catholic actually means universal, okay? The problem is, if you sit in our church and you hear from the front, everybody say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, your ears won't overplay the fact that there's a big C or a little C, you'll just you'll go, oh, right, I'm in an Anglican church and they believe in the Catholic church? Did I come to the wrong place? And so what we've done, my decision, was to change the Catholic word for universal so that we would see the meaning and not trip over just because we didn't notice the capital or the lowercase. Does that make sense? So what we're saying when we say that is there is one church, Everyone who trusts in Jesus is part of one church. And one day, do you know when we get to heaven, there won't be suburbs, the Bapos live down that way, and the, and the Prezies live over the hill, and the people really close to the throne are, insert your own denomination there, right? That's not, that's not what will happen, okay? That's not what will happen. There will be one glorious family of God for everyone who trusts in Jesus. So when we say that creed, and they say it in the Presbyterian church and the Baptist church, and... 
we mean there's one group of people who name Jesus as their Lord. Long answer? Okay, great. Thanks, mate. Fantastic. Someone else? Another question? I'm all fired up tonight and we're out. That's okay. Was there there one more? No? You come and ask me at supper. That'll be all right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Jesus plus anything equals what? See, that makes me happy. I can sit down now. We're all good. Oh, except I'm the service leader. (laughs) Why don't we pull out our Caring Connect cards? What a good idea. Um, So our Caring Connect cards are the way that you can get in touch with us. If you're new and you want to know about our newsletter, you can put your name there and you can write on there your email address. Provided you do that,